0: You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au Well this morning we're going to be looking at the passage from 1 Peter chapter 2 and so it's a good idea to have that in front of you in your pew Bibles. Uh, I can't quite remember the page number but open it up and have a look because we're going to be looking at the verses there. Well, everyone wants to belong. Everyone wants to belong, to be part of something bigger. Uh, You notice this particularly when you're a teenager. You really want to look like other people or be listening to the same music or be on the same social media or... Uh, you, you find lots of different ways in which you can look like others and be like others and to belong. Or you find a countercultural culture that doesn't look like everyone else, but you look like the other people who aren't looking like everyone else. We really want to belong, and I suspect that it's not just a teenage thing either, it's something that goes on throughout our lives. We want to be part of something. We want to know that we are accepted and, and and belonging to a group or a community. Well Peter was writing to people who didn't have that sense of belonging. People who he repeatedly through his letter calls aliens or exiles. They're people who, because they are Christian, are being persecuted or excluded. Uh, people who, because they follow Christ, because they're acting differently to other people around them uh, don't fit in and so, as Peter writes to them, what he wants to do is he he wants to show them that they're actually part of something different. they are different, but he wants them to know, like in the Audiad, that they're good, different, okay. They're good different. Uh, And as Peter takes us through this, he he actually uses three images. He uses a baby, a building, and that deep and amazing sense of belonging. Babies, buildings, and belonging. And so that's what we're going to be having a look at. And firstly, we're looking at baby. This is why we're different. So Peter has said to them back in verse 22 of chapter 1 that we are to love one another and he says that you need what you need to do if you're going to love one another is you're going to need to get rid of a whole lot of stuff. Stuff that is like everyone else, you're going to have to live differently to the people around you. You're going to have to get rid of certain things and on the other hand you're going to have to long for certain things. And he says firstly, rid yourself of malice and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. Just get rid of them, he says, which is easier said than done. Uh, If you notice these things in your heart, nobody thinks they're good things, but if you notice them in your heart, I think it's particularly hard with envy in our culture at the moment. Uh, We look at what other people have and we want it, but you see that in your heart, it's, it's hard to kind of kill it. And so Peter says, well, here's a strategy for how you get rid of it. If I find in my heart that I'm leaning towards malice or live one way when everything I say publicly is the opposite, or if I start looking at what others have and begin to get bitter and envious of what they have, what does Peter suggest I do? He says, be like the baby. He says, long for the spiritual milk. And long for it like a newborn longs for its milk. Now, a newborn really does long for its milk. It's the best thing for it. It's life for it. So what's the spiritual milk? Well, I think it's the Lord. It's his word. It's the gathering of his people. It's actually everything. That comes from the Lord and gives us nourishment and life. Uh, Peter, drawing on Psalm 34, asks us, Have we tasted the Lord? Do we know that He's good? He's saying, Have you experienced Him? Have you had a try? Now, I wonder if when you had kids, whether you ever had any that were triaphobic. Triaphobic kids. If <laughs> I won't look at anyone in the building, particularly for that. Uh, if there's, you know, there's a new food on the plate, and uh, the default position is I don't like it. I just I don't like it. And and you say very logically, well, have you tried it? And they say no. And you say you take them on the next little logical progression. No. Well, how do you know? that you don't like it if you've never tasted it. And the answer is always, I just know. (laughs) And that's, that's a difficult impasse in the conversation at that point. There are lots of people who have never tasted the Lord and never experienced the life and the strength and the joy and the peace that taking in his word and knowing him actually brings and they might look at Christ and the Christian life and they say, I don't like it. But they've never tasted it. Now, if you put a baby on the ground, uh, what happens? They grab whatever's close and they put it in their mouth, don't they? That's what, so you put them on the dirt and suddenly, before you know it, the little boy is sitting there with dirt all over his face. But you offer the baby the milk and they leave that all behind and they long for their their mother. Well, if you've been busy eating the dirt of malice and envy and slander, uh, Peter's saying, taste the Lord. It's much better. It's like the taste buds of your soul have been switched on. And it's just good and you want more and it wakes your desire and you can't get enough of the Lord and you don't want the dirt anymore. Taste the Lord and see that he's good. But, you know, if you do do that, if you do taste the Lord and see that he's good and his life, uh, then, and the more you do that, the more different you're going to be to the people around you. The more different you're going to be to the average Australian. And it's good different, but it's different. And that can be a hard place to be because we all desperately want to feel like we belong. And so this is is why they're different. He says, he wants to give them a sense of why it's good different. So verses 4 to 8, the imagery changes. It's no longer babies, it's buildings. And no longer the savour of food, but the founding of stones. Peter's speaking here to Christians who've been Publicly shamed, Christians who've been rejected in their hometowns, Christians who have been kicked out, who are exiles. They've, they've even been kicked out of their synagogues. And they have they've been barred from the temple in Jerusalem. So there can be this sense that they've been cut off from God. They're in a place of rejection and they're in a place of shame. And Peter wants them to know. The true spiritual reality is that that is not them. No, he says you're a living stone. You're being built together into a spiritual house. So verse 4, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Well, I wonder if you feel rejected or whether you feel worthless at times. Well Peter says that's not the true story. You are chosen and you are precious. Peter says you know, the, the world may pick you up and from the pile of stones and look you over and say that you're too big or too small. The wrong shape, the wrong colour, the wrong age. And reject you. But God has lovingly and he's carefully quarried you and shaped you and he's chosen you. And you are precious to him. Uh, My dad's a bit of a handyman. I'm I'm not sure I got any of those particular genes, but he's a bit of a handyman. He can read something and then make it. Uh, So he made this huge dry stone wall and it's wonderful watching him do that because, you know, I'm lazy, but watching him do that and he, he gets each stone and, and he puts it just in the right place and he maybe chips off a little bit just to make it fit and, you know, when there's a hole or a, a spot in the wall uh, and he needs to find a very particular shape, he searches around and eventually finds it and, you know, there's great rejoicing when you find the right, the right little stone and he puts it in there and it's just right and it fits and it belongs. Well, that's what God's done with us. There's, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to say, you know, because it often feels a bit, uh, bit trite, but there is actually a U-shaped place in the people of God. And here at St. John's, We are being built together. It is not a mistake that you are here in this community because God has brought you and he's fitted you into his people and into his church. Very deliberately, you're part of him. And what's God building? What's God building with these living stones? Well, he's building a spiritual house. Now, this is remarkable what Peter says here What he's saying is that you are the new temple. For over a thousand years, the temple in Jerusalem has been the place in which people come to worship God and people come to have sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven. It's been the place in which people have particularly sought the presence of God himself. And these exiles, these Christians Peter was writing to, couldn't go to the temple anymore. Indeed, they've been thrown out of the synagogues. But Peter says, you don't need to go to the temple anymore because you are the temple. You are. This new community of people who have come to Christ is now the place in which God is worshipped, the place in which people come to see that sins are forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Uh, It's the place in which people can find the presence of God himself. When two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. God's presence is right among us. You and I are built together to be to the world what the temple in Jerusalem used to be. We are God's new temple. Not this church with its, its walls and its windows. You and me. There are some pretty spectacular cathedrals in Europe, uh, particularly in Europe. So this is Notre Dame Cathedral and uh, I've never been there but just looking at that picture gives you just a sense of its glory and its grandeur and its its bigness. Or, or St Paul's Cathedral in London apparently is is truly spectacular. Why do we make... Cathedrals so spectacular and large and wonderful well we want to communicate something of the grandeur and the glory and the majesty of God don't we well God says what am I going to use to house my glory what will be worthy of my own majesty and my own beauty what shall I use to announce to the world the glory of who I am look my treasure my precious one, you, you. And he picks you up and he builds you into this living house, founding you uh, on and lining you up with the cornerstone. Uh, The cornerstone is really interesting. Have a look at verse 6. See, I am laying a stone uh, in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Cornerstones are interesting. Like I said, I I don't have a building bone in my body, but I've read and uh, people tell me that cornerstones, as the first stone that is laid in the building, is very carefully selected for their perfection. Because not only was it the first stone and therefore the one on which all the others are founded and built upon, but it's also the way in which you set the cornerstone sets the direction and the layout of the whole building. So if they'd put the cornerstone of this church a little bit more that way, we'd all be sitting like that. It sets the whole direction of the church. And so every other stone takes its line from this one. Where every other stone is placed depends on its relationship to the cornerstone. And so, lined up with Christ, you are built into this new temple. And where you are and what you're doing depends on your relationship to Jesus, your life, your thoughts, your hearts, your desires uh to line up with Jesus it's the direction of your life is set by the cornerstone and so the big question is are you in line with Jesus is there a part of your life that's not in line because if we're in line with him built as living stones into this spiritual house he's he's precious on us uh, precious to us and the one on whom we depend And uh, that's a solid and strong place in which to stand. But if we're not lined up with Jesus, well, it's a totally different story. And you see that in verse 7. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now I'm sure as you've gone through life, you have noticed that not everyone has the same reaction to Jesus. You look at him and you see the one who is infinitely precious to you, the one who is in your heart and is of infinite worth, and But there are others who hear about Jesus or the gospel, you know, that they need to repent, that Jesus died for them, that they might be forgiven. Or they may hear of God's way of life that is so contrary to our society's ethics, particularly in these days our sexual ethics. And they, they scoff at its superstition or its foolishness and indeed they say that what we believe is wrong or perhaps even worse, harmful. See, Jesus has always been a stumbling block from the very beginning. And we shouldn't be surprised uh, when people have an opposite reaction to Jesus. So, if you find that there are some who reject you because you're Christian, they're actually rejecting Jesus, they're stumbling on Him. And they're stumbling on the rock and they will fall. And So you know the very best thing you can do when that happens is pray for them. Pray for them that though they stumble and they're falling, that it, they'll turn and have a look at what they stumbled on. Uh, a guy called Beric Sawat is a Kazakh herdsman. And seven years ago he was walking along in a fairly deserted part of China and when all of a sudden he, he tripped on a stone uh, and on looking more closely to that rock, or to that stone, he discovered this is what it was. It was 17-pound gold nugget worth about a quarter of a million dollars. Well, it may be that those you know might be stumbling on Jesus, but if they'd turned around and had a closer look, they'd discovered that they may be tripping over the most precious discovery they've ever seen. Pray for them. Well, Peter's full of metaphors this morning. We've had a baby, we've got a building, uh, but now the imagery changes once more. These uh, Christians he's writing to uh, have been rejected. They've been barred from the temple, but they've also been exiled. They're own nation has cast them out, they're, they're stateless or even if they're in the country that they originally belong to, they don't belong to them because they live so differently and so they don't belong in their original country either. I mean, could you imagine if that happened to you? You're exiled from Australia, you can't see any of the places you grew up, perhaps a family you grew up with, Australia has rejected you And so you're living in a foreign country and they don't accept you either. Or maybe you don't have to imagine it. Uh, Maybe you've had to leave your original country. You've migrated here because of danger or difficulties in your home country or just to survive economically. Perhaps perhaps you feel the difference. And we all want to belong, don't we? Well, these Christians Peter is writing to are stateless, They're different. They're scattered over Western Turkey. Exiles and sojourners, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter calls them. But that's not really who they are. Peter says, you know, you're not just these scattered people. You're a, a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession. Do you hear the repeated assurance that Peter is giving? To these marginalized and stateless Christians, you are a race, you are a nation, you are a people. Peter's actually pulling the words straight from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 5 says this. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So who's God's precious and chosen people in the Old Testament? It's Israel, isn't it? So Peter, again, is doing something really radical here. Not only is the temple uh, being transformed into this people, but Israel's been transformed. God's chosen and precious people are not just Israel, but includes people from all over the world. And so we're not black or a white race, an Australian race or a Chinese race or an Indian or Filipino or Sri Lankan or Sudanese race. We're a chosen race. And we're chosen for a purpose. Not only does God bring us together as a people, but he gives us a purpose, a common purpose. What is it? Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. See, this living community of people that we belong to, this new nation of God's people of which we are a part has a greater and a larger purpose. We're the way through which God is transforming and saving the world. We've been called out of darkness into his marvellous light and our job is to shine that light, to proclaim the wonderful things that God has done and is still doing among us, to the word actually, in, uh, in the words of our mission, to tell out the good news of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. And if we're not doing that as a church, we're actually neglecting our purpose. Uh, and that's why... Uh, we're running English conversation class. That's why we run mainly music. That's why we're putting on Alpha in Term 3. That's why we're looking at starting a mentoring program for kids over at the primary school, just over there, uh, over the road. Because as a church, we want to shine out the light of the good news of Jesus. And, you know, we, we need people to be part of all of those things. And so can I encourage you to pray and think about uh, how you can be a part of shining the light of God uh, as part of this community that we're a, we, uh, you know, God's brought together. Because as a church, we want to shine the light of Jesus. Well, baby, buildings and belonging. Put off the bad things and eagerly, eagerly desire the spiritual milk. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Your place in the world is not one of shame, but one of honour. As you are the temple of God and the people of God, uh, the place where people can come to meet God. You are chosen, you are precious. And you belong to a people, a nation that has nothing to do with ethnicity or race. And everything to do with God's choice and his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how precious it is to know that we are precious to you, Uh, that you shape us and mould us, that you place us so carefully where we are as you build up your church. And Heavenly Father, though we are different to the world, uh, Father, we thank you that we have a place in which we belong and it's the place we were created to be because we're, we're following you. And so, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for one another here in this building right here and now. And would you continue to build us together as living stones and would you help us as your people and to be shining out your light uh, so that the world may know you and that more and more living stones might be built into your, your kingdom, into your spiritual house, together with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.